0: I'm proud of my uncle, but um, I'm really proud of him. And um, when they asked me to speak today, I was very, very honored. Usually when somebody asks you to speak somewhere, you come in front, you have to say it's an honor to be here. Even if it's not, um, it is an honor for me to be here today um, to speak for my uncle. Um, Again, I have admired him because I think we're so alike. Um, We both were assistant pastors, our assistant pastors to our dads. Now he's senior pastor, both of us musicians. Um, Both of us involved in 9 million things, um, and I do get called Marcus at least twice a week. (laughs) One of those at least by my mom, Um, but uh, I've had a lot of great conversations with my uncle here in this church and other places just about ministry and just about life, and I've been watching what he's been doing and following the sermons and everything, just been so blessed by that, so uh, it is an honor for me to be here, and I was actually excited when they asked me to speak. And so uh, we're going to get into the Word today. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. How many of you guys have ever had the experience of you go to a movie or a TV, you're watching a TV show, and someone uh, comes in and they just start talking? It's just... Just start talking. Now, when you when I was dating my wife, it was cute, right? It's like, oh, it's so cute. She's talking during the most, you know, important part of the movie. Like, we're watching and I'm like, oh, it's so cute. And then, like, now that we're married, it's like... You know she wants to ask me all these crazy questions like as the the climax of the movie is happening, she wants to ask me a, a bunch of questions what do you what do you think about global warming i don't know Iron Man is getting ready to fight captain America I'm more interested in that right now, and she so th- those kind of people are really interesting and weird. but have you ever been in a in a room my wife's not weird, but if I, have you ever been in a, in a room watching TV and somebody comes in who hasn't been following what's been happening and they sit down and they start asking a bunch of questions? Who's that? Why are they doing that? Is she married to him? Is that her boyfriend? What season is this? Can you start it over? And part of you is saying, can you be quiet? Why, why are you doing all this? Because they're trying to catch up with all that's been happening. They're trying to figure out what's happening. They haven't been watching the show. They haven't been involved in the seasons, and so they're having a difficult time trying to figure out the context. And I feel like that as we come to this passage because this passage is followed by a couple other Beatitudes. And most would say that the passage we're going to look at today is the crown jewel or the center or the, the the powerful Beatitude. And so it's hard for me, and it's hard for me to contain my my want to try and explain all that's happened before. But all I'm going to say is, in your own time, go and study the things that happened before. P-I-C-F, you have been going through this, and you, I think you have an understanding of, of these things. But I feel like as we go into this, this um, message, that God is going to speak something to us. And he's been speaking to me, and it's a very, very important message. And I'm glad that they gave me this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 1. If you have it, say, I got it. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. talk to you today from three points. The first point is the description of a Christian. The description of a Christian. Secondly, the character of a Christian. And then thirdly, the reward of the Christian. So the description of a Christian, the character of a Christian, and the reward of the Christian. These are the Beatitudes, which comes from the Latin for blessing. And In verse 1, you see very clearly who Jesus is speaking to. Look at verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His who? Disciples came to him and began to teach them. I want to make very clear from the outset that the Sermon on the Mount is given directly to disciples, Christians, followers of Jesus. A lot of people who are non-believers approach the Bible the same way that I approach a salad bar they're very picky. They just like certain things. If you ever go to a salad bar with me, all you'll see is salads and croutons and maybe some dressing. If you go to the salad bar with my dad, you'll see beans. You'll see all sorts of red stuff. I don't even know what it is. It's carrots. There's croutons. There's all sorts of stuff because he wants to experience the buffet in all of its glory. But Christians sometimes, or non-Christians, I should say, they approach the Bible and say, "Oh, I like that; I'll take that." Oh, I like that; I'll take that. Oh, I like that; I'll take that. And we're supposed to take the Scripture as a whole. All of the Scripture is God's word. So this this is given. This is a a um, description of. Christian. So what Jesus is doing here in, at the outset is he is making a declaration about what a Christian is. It would be a mistake for you to view the Beatitudes as a cluster of commands that we're supposed to follow in order to get closer to God. Because we are, Christianity today seems to be a group of people who enjoy lists four ways for you to get this, five ways for you to become this, six ways for you to be able to become this. And what Jesus is doing here is he is describing what a Christian is. He's not giving us commands to follow. These are not commands. Notice, I'll ask you a question. What happens to the person who's had a run-in with the grace of God? What happens to a person who has run smack dab into the middle of God's grace? Answer, they're changed. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you become a Christian, the old is gone and the new has come. So I want you to notice in all of these beatitudes, there aren't any imperatives. Not one. An imperative is a command. Not one command in all of the Beatitudes. And the reason is, these are not commands given to the Christian. These are descriptions of what the Christian is. Because if you've been in Sunday school for a while, maybe you had a Sunday school teacher who told you, hey, do you want to be blessed? You better be pure in spirit. Do you want to be blessed? Well, you better mourn. You want to see God? You better be pure in heart. And the the issue, Jesus is not saying... These are commands to follow. He's saying, if you are a Christian, this is what you look like. It's very, very important to see it that way because oftentimes we are performance driven. Christianity can be very performance driven. Very performance driven. In fact, we think that in order for God to like us, we need to do more. In order for God to want us, we got to do more. Think of salvation. Some people think of salvation like a house. Imagine salvation is a house, and Jesus says, this is your house, and it's fully furnished. It's fully paid for. All you have to do is enjoy it and invite me in. We can have fellowship and have parties. It's all yours. And imagine after Jesus leaves, you call a lawyer and start to set up a payment plan. Now the way that you relate to that house is going to be way different. Because salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is not something you pay for. It's something that has been given to you as a gift. And so what Jesus here is saying, over and over, these are declarations. All of these beatitudes are declarations of what a Christian is. And these declarations are not descriptions of different people. They are descriptions of the same one individual who has run smack dab into the middle of God's grace. The Beatitudes, they serve, sometimes you say, well, how do I know I'm a a Christian? Or what's the point of the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes serve as a way for you to see if you are really a Christian. To put yourself alongside of the Beatitudes and say, am I really a follower of Christ? If you look at verse 3, look at what it says, "Blessed are." the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice that both In verse 3 and verse 8, it says the same thing. This is a literary device called inclusion, which is the point of the whole passage is the kingdom of God. Those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is describing are those who are part of the kingdom. These are not commands to be followed. Now, I'm not against commands. In the, the Sermon on the Mount, there are 66 commands that Jesus will give. But the point is, it's not for you to try and do things to climb the ladder. The Beatitudes are not uh, rungs on a ladder that you're trying to climb up to get closer to God. Because the more you do that, the more you relate to God like he is someone you owe a debt to. Your debt has been paid already. And so I want you to see that the Beatitudes are a description of what the Christian is. So you could say that the Beatitudes are the profile of a Christian. So here's a question. Are you really a child of God? Are you really a Christian? Have you really entered into the kingdom of God? Well, you need to ask yourself, if I lay my life alongside of the Beatitudes, do they line up? A lot of people can can claim to be a Christian, can claim to follow Christ. I've been in church all my life. And I used to think everybody who comes to church is a Christian. Until I went to spend a night at somebody's house <laughs> who was not a Christian, who was not uh well, they weren't saved. Not a, I found out they weren't saved. We in the car driving around. We driving around Men's City. And I'm in the back having a good time. And all of a sudden, the person in the front said, what you doing? Don't drive by the police. And said, and ducks down, said, go around, go around. And I was thinking to myself, this is how I'm going to die. And I went home, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, everybody in our church ain't a Christian. <laughs> she said, What happened? I said, like, They were hiding from the police. I literally thought, because in church you see everybody clapping their hands, you see everybody lifting their hands, you see everybody dancing. And you just assume as a kid, everybody's a Christian. I didn't see people on Monday. I didn't see people on Wednesday. I didn't see people on Saturday night. I saw them on Sunday. If you honestly take your life and you lay it aside the Beatitudes, would you say, I'm actually in the kingdom of God? Am I actually a follower of Jesus? So the, the, the description of a Christian, what Jesus is giving him the Beatitudes, but secondly, the character of a Christian. What is the character of a Christian? Look, let's read it again in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. All of these Beatitudes are different angles of the character of the person who has run into God's grace. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? The word pure in heart or the word pure, it literally means clean. It means to be clean. How many of you guys are clean freaks? My mom's a clean freak. My wife is a clean freak. I'm the kind of person like I'll see something on the ground and I'll say, it's okay, it's not gonna, nothing gonna happen. <laughs> then the next day there's three things on the ground. I'm like, ah, sorry, nothing wrong. Yes, the next day, there's seven things. Ah, it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. Next thing you know, you open the door for the TV crew of hoarders to come into your house. Because you have all this stuff just all over the place. And I, my room used to be the most, oh, my gosh, it had so much stuff all over. My mom used to say, why can't you be more like your brother? Because his room would always be clean. Have you ever tried to help somebody clean and you're looking around like, oh my gosh, it's so there's this stuff. I helped somebody move the other day and there was dirt caked all over the windowsill. And I thought, were well, you shoveling dirt onto the windowsill? I don't I don't understand what's what's happening. If you've ever gone into a house or ever gone to a room or ever just been dirty, you know it's it doesn't feel good to be dirty. You want you want to be clean. And so part this word means to be to be clean, but this word also has the meaning of It was use of metals that had been refined and refined and refined until all of the impurities were gone. And so what Jesus is saying here is that to have a pure heart means to be clean, but the word also means to be unmixed, to be unadulterated, or to be unalloyed. Something that's alloyed, something that's other stuff mixed in. And so when you apply this to the heart, and the heart is the control center of all that you are. It's the center, the core of your being. That's why we say things like the heart of the issue is. The heart, the control center of your heart. He's saying your heart needs to be pure. So what is he saying? He's saying that when he's saying pure in heart, he's saying this is a heart that is single-minded. It's a heart that has undivided devotion. It's a heart that has spiritual integrity. And it's a heart that has true righteousness. And we'll look at those things. One of the things that um, I pray all the time for myself comes out of Psalm 86 and verse 11. You don't have to turn there. But it says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And then it has this phrase. In the ESV it says, unite my heart to fear your name. In the NIV it says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Our hearts... Are fragmented and pulled in so many different directions And are divided And this is a prayer that says God would you unite my heart I don't want my heart to be divided In other words your heart has two things that it's after And I want you Lord to knit it together So it has one single devotion One single passion That's the only thing I want So the question I would ask you is What things distract you From your relationship with God what things threaten your spiritual integrity? What things pull you from your mission in life? If any of those, whatever that thing is, that thing is an idol. And an idol is not something, that a statue that you bow down to. An idol is anything that you put before God. Anything that you put before God. An idol can be a good thing that becomes a bad thing because it became a God thing. And so many of us have idols in our heart. And it's very interesting that in Psalm 24, verse 4, the psalmist asks, Who is it who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who is the one who can have communion with God, who can know God? That's what he says. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then interestingly enough, he says after that, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. So the the heart that is pure is a heart that doesn't have multiple gods. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You'd be a slave to one or the other. Your heart needs to have a single devotion. A gu- you have a have a, a a desire for one thing, that is the glory of God. Yes. Now this is going to sound like it's going to sound extremely um obvious But when we're talking about a pure heart, we're talking about something that is internal rather than external. We are very focused on what's happening externally. But Jesus, he points us away from that. And I want to point you to, you can turn if you want, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25. I'll just read this to you. Listen to what Jesus says as he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law. And Pharisees, you hypocrites, all right, we started on a bad, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisee, Jesus is on them, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. He continues, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Again, this is crazy. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. If I were to modernize this, Jesus would say, you are, and I can say this because I'm a dad now, you are a diaper genie. (laughs) You guys know what a diaper genie is? It's this nice, at least mine is, it's white on the outside. It looks beautiful. You put all the diapers in there. You open that thing. If Jesus were today, he would say, you are like diaper genies. On the outside, you look beautiful, but you open it and you smell like diapers. And no one would say, no one would look at that and say, oh, at least the outside's clean. And yet, this is what people do. The Pharisees did that. On the outside, we're righteous. On the outside, we look good. But on the inside, we're full of wickedness and hypocrisy and greed. That's not good. And Jesus has said all throughout the Old Testament, God is looking at the heart. He's not looking merely at outward appearances. Again, I think somebody said it today. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then he says, in vain do they worship me. Being a worship leader over the years, has I, I'm getting more and more and more unimpressed with worshipers who come to church and are just merely lifting their hands and clapping. And Because are, as a worship leader, sometimes you're, you're leading and people aren't really responding to you. They're not really looking at you. Even as a preacher, some people are not looking at you, not responding to you. So you think, oh, they don't like me. There's something wrong with me. And so as a worship leader, you like to see people lifting their hands and clapping and seem to be involved. But Jesus says you could be doing all that and your heart be far from the things that you're saying with your lips. And so I've got to where I have a friend who says that sometimes worship leaders do stick em up worship. And so he say, lift your hands. Come on, isn't he worthy? Lift your hands. Come on. And it's not it's not genuine. Because if it was really genuine, you wouldn't have to t- you have to tell me to lift my hands. Because God's been too good for me to keep my hands on my side. It's, it's ridiculous. There are, there are people who come to church who think it's just about doing outward things. And Jesus says that that's not what it's about. You know what it's like. All of us know what it's like to say something with your mouth that your heart is far from. No, you don't look fat in that. Mmm, this is so good. I need the recipe. Your newborn baby is so cute. <laughs> bless his heart. That's the giveaway. <laughs> if they say bless their heart, they're lying. <laughs> this thing, you can do all the external things you want. All the external things that you want. And if it's not attached and tethered to the heart, it's worthless. Yeah. And you all know this. Imagine I pull my wife into the room and I say, Babe, let me tell you something. I've been going to the gym and there's this girl and we've been hitting it off. We started talking and things led to one, one thing led to another. We started working out together, and then that kinda led to us, you know, going to lunch together and I just want to tell you i I've, I've fallen for her. I feel like my heart's attached to her. We have things in common. She loves Jesus. She's a worship leader. She lo- um, it, it, everything is good. She likes to work out. She just oh she loves she loves Arrow and she likes the Flash and everything's just going so so well. And so I I I think I love her. I think my heart's attached to her. I think I want to be with her and not with you. And then I say but but I'll stay with you. I will cook. I'll clean, I'll stay in the house, I'll sleep next to you, I'll give you more kids, I'll do whatever you want. Outwardly, I'll do all the actions, but inwardly, I, I will have no desire to be with you. In fact, I'll be, want to be with someone else. What do you think she's going to say? You think she's going to say, oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> He's going to do all the outward things. Oh. Now, God forbid I ever did, and I don't I don't plan to do that, I don't ever plan to do that, because she told me what would happen to me if I did that. <laughs> she said, what would happen to me and the girl. And just by the way, if, God forbid, I ever did do that, if I come up missing, check her cell phone records. Because she's involved somehow. <laughs> but she, she would not say, oh, I'm so honored. Because you did the outward things. She would say, no, your heart's not involved in it. So then why in the world are you even staying here? What are we doing? And why is it that we think that's okay to do to God? You come and you say, oh, praise the Lord. Praise God God is good and all that. And God says, your heart is far from me. It's why one of the things I stopped doing in youth group is singing songs that said things like, I love you, Lord, I'll give you everything that I have, because I started saying, I'm I'm making these kids lie. Many of the kids who used to come, I knew they weren't in love with God. I knew they weren't Christians. And so I switched. Let me have them sing things about the goodness of God, the the greatness of God, facts about God, hoping that God will use that to change their hearts. But I said all this to say simply, God is not just about the external, he's about the internal. What's happening? One gospel singer said it this way, what's going on on the inside? He's concerned about what's going on on the inside. He's not concerned about everything that's going on the outside, he's concerned about your what? Your heart's condition. Y'all know that song? Okay. It's my mama song. And this is not new. It's not New Testament. I was reading through the um, commandments, Ten Commandments, and notice when he said, Do not covet. I said, How do you police that? How do you know whether or not somebody's coveting? That's an internal thing that God says not to do. So God's always been against that. And what the Beatitudes do, it helps us to crucify morality. Christians all over the world are big on morality, just doing the right things. God is not after morality. He is after relationship. And so because of that, be careful. Thomas Watson said it this way. He said, morality can drown a man just as fast as vice. Vice is an old way of saying wickedness or immorality. And then he said, a vessel may sink with gold or with dung. Don't put, don't think it's just me doing good things, obeying the command. God says, "What's going on in your heart?" And I want to emphasize this because this is something that is done to you. Salvation is something that is done to you. God, by His Spirit, allows you to see who He is. He gives you the faith to understand who He is, and He is the author of our faith. You know, what the author is. The one who wrote it the one who's in charge of it so god here jesus says first of all the description of a christian description is that these are the things that they are they are they are blessed and he says that the they are pure in heart so we've seen the description of a christian the character of christian and lastly the reward of the christian What is the reward for the Christian? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean? What does it mean to see God? Well, we have a dilemma because the Bible seems to say different things about what it means to see God. On the one hand, it says that we cannot see God. And then there are times where people actually saw God. So let me just give you a a few. There are many. Remember Moses said, God, let me see your glory. Let me see your face. And this is how God responded to him. He said, first of all, he said, no. And then he says, but he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. No one will see me and live. And so what happens is he passes by and Moses sees his backside or literally his hindquarters. And he comes off the mountain and his face is shining and he's scaring people. And just seeing the back of God was enough to overwhelm people. Imagine you saw the face of God. We could not see God and live. We'd be disintegrated. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.16. He's writing about God. Said, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Whom no one has seen or can see. Okay? So, the Bible seems to say you cannot see God. But then, there are people who saw God. Genesis 32, verse 20. So, Jacob called the place Penuel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and my life was spared. So he said, I saw God face his face. If you read the story of Samson, his parents, Manoah and his, his wife, they saw the angel of the Lord and they were scared because so we've seen God. So we're going to die. In fact, the, the husband said the wife wasn't tripping. But the idea is they said, we saw God. So which is it? Is it we can see God or we can't see God? Well, the answer is there's a sense in which we can see God and there's a sense in which we cannot see God. How does that work? Well, Those who saw God, when you see someone seeing God in the scriptures, it's always through a filter. I don't know how many of you guys are on Instagram. Based on the crowd, very few of you. But Instagram is an app on your phone where you can take pictures and... You can take the photo and you can kind of change the way it looks by putting a filter on it. You can make it look more blue, more red, kind of change it. And so what people do is they take a picture of themselves, a selfie, and then they put it on Instagram. And then they kind of put a filter on it in order to change the way that it looks. What God does when he reveals himself to someone is he puts a filter on because if he actually shows you all of, he, of who he is, it would kill you. All of his glory, all of his majesty is too much for us to handle. And so he has to put a filter on. Now, what are those filters? There are a couple in scripture. One is a theophany or a Christophany, which is a manifestation of God, an appearance of God. When you see the phrase angel of the Lord, that is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. And there are times in the, in the Old Testament where God manifests himself and comes in a physical form. But it's covered. It's filtered. There's a veil there. You're not seeing all of God's glory. There's another way. God would, uh, would reveal himself in dreams. Now, think about a dream. A dream, you're not actually seeing the original. You're seeing a picture. So when I have a dream about my wife, I'm not actually seeing my wife. I'm seeing a picture of her. God also was seen through visions. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said, in the, king that king, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Well, in chapter 1, it says, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos. And so, what he's seeing is not the original photo of God, he's seeing a picture. He's seeing something that's filtered. And so he's not seeing God actually in all that he is. Because if that were true, he would die. If I were to sell how many of you guys are Warriors fans? Okay. Tomorrow should be the day. Alright. They suspended Draymond Green, but the devil's a liar, amen? Okay. Um but if I were to ask you, did you see the Warriors on Friday night, you would say, probably if you watched it, you say, yes. But you don't mean I was there and saw the original. You saw it on television. The word television means tele, which is from at a distance and vision. So you saw it at a distance. It's not the actual picture of them. And so that is what I think... A vision is, it's a picture of God At a distance, it's not the original And so God can can appear in visions In dreams, in theophany And it is a veiled appearance of God Now all of that to say That there is a sense in which we cannot see God In all of his glory But there is a sense in which we can see him And what are those ways? Number one, we can see God in creation I said before That salvation, this purity of heart, and understand, the purity of heart that God gives to you and to me is a gift. You cannot tell your heart be pure. Any more than you can tell your your stomach to be hungry. It is a gift of God to you. And so when God changes us, when God saves us, He gives us the ability to see him. We see him in creation. Listen to Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. For the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. When God saves you, you see God in creation. The world, when they walk up there, they just see a bunch of stuff. Well, they say, oh, it's the Big Bang. My thought is, there's a Big Bang, there's got to be a Big Banger. Got to be God who, who creates all that we see. And so I, I have no one, no one goes to Mount Everest and stands at the bottom, or no one goes to the Grand Canyon and stands and looks over and says, ah, I was such a great running back in high school. I can jump so high, I am so fast. No one stands in front of Everest saying that. No one stands at the Grand Canyon saying that. Because those sights they dwarf you. They humble you at the greatness of them. And as a Christian, what you see is the greatness of God. You see God in those things. My wife has made me a beach person. I used to hate going to the beach. Now we go almost every week. And I stand on the shore, and let me tell you, I see God. I stand on the shore and I see the ocean and I see the bigness of it, the vastness of it, the mystery of it. And what I see is a God. I have no desire to go anywhere in it. I will worship from the shore. But it's it's I see God in that ocean. You pick up a a handful of sand. You know how many grains of sand. Are in a handful, approximately 400,000. But you know, there are more stars in the universe than the grains of, of sand on the seashore of all the beaches in the entire world. But did you know that there are more atoms in one grain of sand than stars in the entire universe? No one looks at that and goes, oh, <laughs> ah, chance. All of a sudden, just bang, and then that happened. No one thinks that. No, no one intelligent thinks that. We can see God in creation. But even more personal, we see God in creation, but I think we also see God in a very personal way. John fourteen twenty one. listen to what Jesus says. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and listen, and will show myself to him. John fourteen twenty three. just a couple of verses. It says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. For the Christian, God comes to us in a personal way and has communion with us in a way we see God in a personal way and i would say that there are experiences with God that God will will give you that are for you aren't to be shared because if you try to share everything that God's doing in your personal life you're going to wear people out But God comes to us in a personal way. And I don't know how this all works to come and make our home with us and to show himself to us. But if you're a Christian, if you've ever sat with your word and you've had God reveal himself to you, you know what I'm talking about. This thing. And it's only given to those who are pure in heart. But that's immediate. I think more than anything, Jesus is pointing to. Not just we see him in creation, not just we see him in a personal way, but we also see God in a future sense. That one day you and I who love Jesus will see him face to face. And that is the blessed hope of the Christian. I can't tell you, I miss my grandpa immensely. I miss seeing my dad's mom. I miss um, Grandma Daisy and Grandma Clee and I miss friends and I miss Connie and I miss I miss so many people but so many people wrongly make heaven about seeing people who have gone on before heaven is not about who you're going to get to see as great as that is and the bible talks about a, a, a reunion I'm I'm for that but that's not what I'm hoping for people make heaven about anything, everything than what it's really about. Heaven is about seeing God. We have made heaven about streets of gold, and I'm going to get my mansion, and when I, when I, was, when I was teaching uh, children's church, I wanted the kids to want to go to heaven. So I told them, I said, hey, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a pool of ice cream And you just, I don't know if Cheryl remembers this, you're going to slide down into the pool of ice cream and eat it. There's going to be a hot tub of (laughs) Kool-Aid. Now that I'm thinking about it, that sounds really nasty, hot (laughs) Kool-Aid. But I said, you guys want to go there? Yeah! You guys want to slide to a pool of ice cream? Yeah! You want to have a pool of, of Skittles and eat? Yeah! Not a word about Seeing God There's a a recording group named Mary Mary who wrote a song called Heaven. And in the song, they talked about, you know, everybody's got a mansion and it's perfect weather and riding on streets of gold. And they're on this video and they're roller skating and just having a great time. And they caught flack because in this song, the entire song, they never once said anything about seeing God. Or seeing Jesus. It was all about seeing people. It's all about that kind of thing. It's about, heaven's about perfect 75 degree weather. Is that what heaven's really about? And they caught flack for that because the goal and the vision, the, the thing that you and I want most is to see God. Listen to 1 John 3 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him for we will see him. As he is. Titus 2.13. While we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? Pools of ice cream. What's the blessed hope? Seeing loved ones. What's the blessed hope? He says the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. And that's what the pure in heart is can look forward to, seeing God face to face. One more scripture, Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 and 4, speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. The description of a Christian, we're blessed, and we're pure in heart, and we'll see God. That's the description. The character of a Christian is that they are pure in heart, they are clean, they are unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated. They have a single mind, they are, have spiritual integrity, true righteousness, undivided devotion. And the reward of the Christian is that we will see God. And I was thinking about this verse, and I thought, man, this, this verse, this whole passage t- speaks so perfectly about you two. Your commitment to God. And, you know, I know you, you guys are great people, but God did that in you. Amen. Amen. And I was reading this, I think, this is Uncle Marcus. This is Auntie Mel. PICF, you, you, have, you have a great pastor who loves you. And I got a little weirded out because I was sitting in the back there. And I don't do this, but I felt like God was saying to me that, you know, someone, I don't know who it was. Somebody said, you know, coming down here on your lunch break and praying Like what's happening, nothing's happening. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. Our church is going through this kind of thing. We pray and we pray and we pray, and we're seeing God do things, but we want to see more. We want to see God do more. And there's a part of you that's frustrated with all that's going on. I'm talking about just myself. But I felt like God just wanted me to say to you that. He sees what you're doing. He hears your prayers. And the work he's going to do is something great. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know all that that entails. I'm not telling you tomorrow 7,000 people will come through the doors. I don't know what that means, but I believe God has seen your hard work. He has seen your dedication. He loves you, and he has great things planned for you. Just know I don't I don't say things like that lightly. Um, I'm the most skeptical person you'll ever meet. Um, and I battled with whether or not to say that, but I believe God has great things in store for you. because of your commitment to his word and because of his love for you and the, his commitment to his glory. God's committed to his glory. And in, in 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 his commitment to his glory, it is for your good and for your happiness. So I love you guys. I I pray for you. I do. It's not a. Uh, I forgot. We have an audience. Let me let me. <laughs> um. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you have. In your grace and in your mercy, you have seen fit to to give us salvation. It is all of grace. You did not look down the corridor of time and see who would choose you, God. You reached down and you saved us. And I thank you for that. I pray for my uncle, I pray for my aunt that, Lord, you would do a, a mighty work in their hearts. And then that work that you're doing in their hearts will spill over into Marin City, and Marin County, and Sonoma County, and the United States, and ultimately the world. Lord, increase their presence on the radio. Provide the means for a longer time on the radio. So that his voice, the voice that you've given to him to speak your word will be heard by millions. Lord, I just pray again your blessing on this life, not because of him, but because of who you are. And Lord, for those of us who are here, Lord, we thank you so much for your blessing us, declaring us blessed and saving us and we'll... Give you the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you.